When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Six minutes left. This could be a big moment. A sermon looks to roll it sideways to Matt Ritchie, who smashes it! Goodness me! Matthew Ritchie! With a goal that could well be a massive step towards the Premier League. But they've come from behind and lead Sheffield Wednesday by two goals to one. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Lockdown Interviews. Hope you're doing well. My name's Sam Davis. In this show, wow, we've got a big name. Former Cherry and current Newcastle fan favourite Matt Ritchie. He joins us to discuss his footballing career, from the turbulence at Swindon under Paolo Di Canio to the calm drive of Eddie Howe, and then on to the move to Newcastle and increased support expectation at St James's Park. He also speaks of his experiences internationally for Scotland, being guided by Rafa and then Steve Bruce. That must be different. We also speak about his move to Bournemouth, promotions from League One and the Championship, including the goals, the assists and celebrations. What must it be like to go from playing in front of 11,000 to playing in front of 50,000 every week? A bit weird. Also, Eddie Howe's meticulous nature, but who would be the next boss for Scotland if he had the choice? Howe, Rafa or Steve Bruce. He also talks about life in general at Newcastle. This interview was done with myself, Sam Davis, Jeff Hayward and Tom Jordan. It was a great chat and I hope you enjoy. So welcome, should I call you Matt, Matthew or Matty? How do you prefer today? Matt's fine, no problem at all, Matt's fine. How are you Matt? Yeah, really well, really well, thank you. Um, Got to be honest, I'm enjoying the lockdown, obviously keen to get back to, to playing and things, but um, yeah, making the most of a bad situation at home. 
Good stuff. Uh, yeah, it is a hard situation. And uh, well, helping us out tonight, of course, is yourself. But we've also got Jeff Hayward here as well. Jeff, how are you doing? Yeah, just getting emotional when I saw that Sheffield Wednesday goal. It was fantastic. <laughs> what a strike. I love it. I'm if, only, if only Adam Smith didn't do what he did to concede that penalty. Yeah, it would have been a whole lot better. Right? <laughs> um, and also we've got uh, Tom Jordan here with us as well. North Stand season ticket holder and AFC Bournemouth influencer these days. Tom, how you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Yeah, same as Jeff. Getting emotional watching that ball in the net again. What a strike. <laughs> Yeah, good stuff. So, Matt, we've had loads of questions submitted. And um, if you're on chat too, by the way, you can send in uh, your questions. Just pop them on and we'll try to get them asked uh, throughout the next hour or so. Um, now, we want to go through your playing career. Obviously, there's going to be a, a big focus on Bournemouth, of course. Um, but, you know, your current experience in Newcastle, uh, your international career and also you know, what next as well. So firstly then, you know, if I've researched correctly, which I, I hope I have done, you started out at Portsmouth in your youth and then amongst a few loan spells, you then actually gained your first Premier League minutes for Pompey back in uh, 2010. But unfortunately, it was a season where you got relegated and um, not long after that, one of your loan moves became permanent. And that was at Swindon Town, I, a club I would say is a similar size to our own, really. Um, it was Danny Wilson that signed you, but not before long, you were playing under Paolo uh, Di Canio. C can you give us a bit of an insight into how that management move came about for Swindon? Because he's a bit of a character. And what were your opinions of his arrival? Yeah, it was obviously, um, at the time, it was one of them. I signed, as you say, um, when in the January, I think it was, I've been on loan a few times before. Really enjoyed it there. Felt like I was, I was improving and, and becoming a better player. Good experiences, and we got relegated. And then the, the club decided to go for Di Canio, and uh, he was obviously starting out in his managerial career. And um, I've got to be honest, I from day one I loved him. Uh, I loved his uh, mentality, his desire to win, and and um, I really, really did uh, create a good relationship with him. And and he, he probably brought out the, the best in me as a as a young player and, and sort of changed my outlook on, on football and, and life, really. So he was a massive influence for me, for sure. Mm. And when you were at Swindon, Matt, um, you played against the Cherries, but uh, it was a bit of a difficult time for us. And, and there was a pretty uh, toxic atmosphere from the fans towards our club at the time. Do you remember much of that game? I do indeed, yeah. Because one of my one of the goals I scored that day was my the my one of my favourite goals actually. Um, I think uh, was it Jalal that was in goal, and I just nicked it off Foggy in the in the middle of the pitch and took took a touch out my feet and and smashed it and it went in a goal. So yeah, that was one of my favourite goals. So I do remember that game obviously very clearly as well uh, because Bournemouth was always a team that I'd been to. I come I came when I was seventeen with John Ward. Uh, when Kevin Bond was a manager, I always had like from that moment I had a connection with the club. I felt and it was always a local club. Joe Partington, who I'm good friends with, was was there. And um, yeah, no, it was, it, it, when, when we played against Bournemouth, it was always a like, my family came, my friends came to the game. So it was always one of those games that uh, meant that little bit more, if you like. 
Yeah, Tom, uh, do you remember those times uh, you were playing at Swindon? Wasn't wasn't great being a Bournemouth fan, was it? No, no, it was never. I mean, I don't, don't particularly. I'm not too fond of Swindon, but um, <laughs> I'd always thank them for Matt Ritchie. So, uh, yeah, a little bit more of a soft spot now. But, um, yeah, I do always remember at that level that um, it was kind of before a game you'd always think. Swindon, they're the, they're the team with Matt Ritchie. And I I vaguely remember, I don't know if you were playing this one, I remember playing Swindon under Decanio, and I'm sure the game nearly got postponed. I can't remember what game it was. I remember playing, and we had David James in goal. I can't remember what um, kind of what season that was. I got yeah, a vague recollection of that. It was, it was tipping down with rain, wasn't it? Yeah, it was really bad. I remember half-time, they were kind of toying with potential postponement, I think. I think we yeah, drew the game. Jamo made a bad mistake, didn't he? I think we won one. Yes. We won one. Yeah, I think James come out, and because of the weather, I think he like slipped and the ball skidded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember the game. I do. I remember the game. And uh... yeah, that's kind of my biggest memory of playing Swindon, actually. Yeah, recently. Yeah. yeah. Um, James, James. it's got it's got to be said that Paolo Di Canio's time at Swindon, um, it was uh, I'd say turbulent. Um, uh, do you think that Swindon, <laughs> um, experience has shaped his managerial success? I.e., he's not he's not really done it, has he? Um. I've got to be honest. Uh, it was yes, it was turbulent uh, because I was I was involved in us every day. Honestly, like there was something that made you go wow every day. But good, bad, uh, different. First time you've seen it, whatever, however you want to put it, it was it was uh, it was different if you like. But um, the, the qualities that he had is uh, as I said before, his mentality to win. He's a, he's a perfectionist, um, and I think. The reason he probably, I think at Swindon he actually done really well. When the the season I left, I mean we were we were top of the league, I think, and Bournemouth may have been second, I think, or vice versa. So I think that he he had successful period, but when he moved on to Sunderland, where you got bigger players on bigger money with more of a say, more experience, I think the way he was managing was probably difficult in a way because he he he. He needs control over everything, and obviously, the higher you go, I think uh, the biggest thing I've learned from the managers that I've worked with is, is they they learn how to delegate and, and let others do bits and pieces. And uh, with the gap of Paolo, he just he couldn't do that. But I, as I said, I absolutely loved him. For me personally, what, what a guy, what a manager, um, and what an influence on my career and my life. So this is a question from Neil Dawson, Matt. On a scale of one to ten, how bonkers was he? I was 10. 10. <laughs> <laughs> this guy, honest. Right. From from anything like from off the pitch, on the pitch, um, pre-season, we used to do the, the the hardest runs I've ever done pre-season. I think it was like 1,200 metres. We do four times as fast as you possibly go. Then you do 800 eight times as fast as you could possibly go. Like the lads, this was day after day. I think we did speaking to Al Connell the other day and I think we did something like 54 days consecutive no days off and I'm telling you like these sessions were the hardest sessions you've done and um, things like that obviously you look at this man you think he's bonkers but he used to every day turn up ready to work desperate to be on the training pitch he would, he'd be waiting for the lads on the training pitch at 10.30 or 10 o'clock or whatever it was and um, morning afternoon you name it he was there and um, it, his <coughs> His enthusiasm just spread throughout the whole club, and um, it was a great time whilst I was there for sure. And he was there; it was brilliant. 
Yeah, good stuff. So uh, I know that Bournemouth tried to sign you uh, at one point during one window and it, it, it didn't quite happen. And I don't know, as a Bournemouth fan, it always seems to be that there are certain transfers that that never seem to be kept quiet and it always seems to happen in the end. So Jefferson Lerma was one of them, Chris Meppham um, and yourself as well. So uh, how did your move to Bournemouth come about and um, what is it like playing under such speculation? Um it came honestly for me. It was uh, it was quite quick. It, um, I remember, like you say, there was maybe maybe some uh, interest when I think Lee Bradbury was the manager. Um, there was a little bit of interest, and Eddie Mitchell was the chairman. I remember speaking speaking to the club then, but nothing materialised. And then, um, as you say, I think it was only a short time after we played you at the county ground, and and then I moved moved in the January. Um, so. It came, but it did. It came about quickly. Uh, I was really happy at Swindon. Uh, um, we were doing well that season, and as I say, I loved the Canio, and uh, I was really happy. I was driving home one day. I knew the club were in a little bit of financial difficulty. Um, the chairman was selling, and uh, he basically, basically, my agent called and said, "Look, the, the club are in, in difficulty. They need to either sell you, or it's going to go into administration." And it made my decision for me, really, but. I say that when Bournemouth were interested, obviously I was interested as well because it's uh, it's sort of hard. I lived in Whiteley at the time in Fareham. It was sort of half an hour, 45 minutes from home. Um, I had friends at the club. I'd worked with Eddie when he was there as a coach with Kevin Bond. Really loved the way he worked. And um, it was something that I really wanted to do. I felt like it was a, it was a good fit. And obviously speaking to, to Eddie and Jace, um, before I before I signed was everything that they wanted fitted exactly into sort of my career and in time scales as well. So uh, it was a good fit. How different was he? You said you worked with him when he was an assistant to Kevin Bond, but what was it like when you went there and he's the gaffer? Um, yeah, it was completely different. Obviously, and and I was younger. I was uh, I was seventeen, I think, and me and Wardy came down and, and did sort of like a two week trial. Um, we trained at camp at school, and actually, I remember real, um, really, really clearly. We did a keep ball, and uh, the intensity of this keep ball. I remember it today. I remember pressing and thinking, "I'm blowing here like this intensity is crazy." Uh, so that was sort of that was a memory of mine that while well, this man works hard, and we also did a circuit. Um, we did like a, a strength session circuit one afternoon, and Eddie was doing the taking the circuit basically. And, uh, again, uh, it was it was uh, certainly push yourself to the limits and, and to the extreme. So, no, it's, uh, obviously his philosophy has never changed. That you get out what you put in for sure. Yeah, Tom, um, what were your thoughts when Matt Ritchie joined then? Because obviously, um, you know, we watched him from afar at Swindon. I say from afar, you know, only down the road pretty much. But um, how excited were you when he joined? Yeah, I remember being firstly really excited that we'd taken Swindon's best player, to be fair. Because, um, like you say, we were competing with them at the time. And like I say, I always knew that we were coming up against Swindon, that Matt Ritchie was the player to watch out for. So I was excited to see what he was like. I remember being kind of frustrated early on because we had quite a lot of injuries, particularly at left-back. And mm. I remember Matt having to play at left-back. And you could tell that Eddie had brought him in to play kind of wide midfield and see see what it was about. It was really odd to think, oh, we're like waiting because it felt, it felt like I was waiting ages to see, you know, where I wanted to see Matt play. So um, as much as depth, I was brilliantly left back. I think Chaz was out at the time. 
I think, with an injury. So, if I remember rightly, you had to play left back for quite a period of time when he first came. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Is that um, a position that you can see yourself almost um, shifting into in your later career in order to, you know, prolong it a bit? <laughs> I do. Yeah. I mean, um, I was lucky. I was lucky under Rafa really because he taught me the position, uh, and I was playing in a five, which makes it a little bit more. Um, uh, security when you're defending and defending was never as you know if you watch watch me play uh, defending was never my forte but I felt like I really improved under Rafa defensively um, and I was playing in the five so I had the protection of my cent third centre half so that was good but um, I really enjoyed it I um, obviously when I came to Bournemouth and I did play that spell at left back um, it was more sort of i got to be honest it was more sort of wing back because we, we were the better team in the league. We had the ball all the time. We always kept the ball. And I remember playing in the position and basically Eddie just said to me, just cross the ball, mate. Get, in a, get as high up the pitch as you possibly can without taking too many risks and put crosses in the box. And uh, he made it really, really easy for me. And um, it helped that I think I came on at MK Dons and um, put a few nice crosses in. And, and to be honest, that, that um, that gave me a lot of confidence in that position because it, it showed me that I can do it from that position as well. I've always thought um, it's kind of depends on the players you're playing with. So I I loved you as a right right hand side of midfield. Thought you're absolutely superb. But then when I look at the Newcastle players you played with, kind of Rondon, Joe Linton, now Andy Carroll, I think we want Matt Ritchie on the left hand side to put balls in the box. So I think does that. For you, do you, if you have a big target man, is that where you want to be playing kind of left wing back so you could just bomb down and get balls in the box? Yeah, I mean, I'll play anywhere as long as I'm on the pitch. I'll smile, but um, <laughs> the, uh, the, um, the for, for me, I do feel like last season was probably I feel like probably one of my best seasons for Newcastle when I played. I played left wing back for probably 25 games, and as I say, I really really enjoyed it. Um, we were, we're quite, as you know, quite a defensive outfit last year. And um, when we did attack, it was through our wing-backs and I was one of them. So it was um, it was really good. And we had a real good understanding with my my right-sided centre-half, Fabian Chara, used to hit a diag to me. And, and more often than not, he'd hit a diag and I'd be able to get a, have a touch and cross it. And yeah, with Rondon up front, it was, a, it was a real weapon for us. So, you know, I really enjoyed that. But um, for sure, I see myself maybe... Uh, Hopefully, I can play to my late thirties. But for sure, I do see myself as a, a winger for now. But I'll, as I say, I'll play wherever wherever the manager likes me to play. Hmm. And what do you remember, Matt, of the the League One promotion season? Um, I remember wearing yellow boots. What, well, I don't know why I remember that, but that's <laughs> when you say League One Bournemouth. That's what I think. Yellow F fifties. But um, it was. I, I remember coming in, and I think I think. Bournemouth have been on, they've been flying at a really good run and I remember coming in thinking first and foremost I need to break into this team somehow and uh, and as you say Chaz got injured I came on at MK Dons and um, and and did okay and then like you say I played left back for a bit but um, the, the, the main thing I remember is the disappointment actually of the last day of the season was it Port Vale we played? Tranmere Tranmere sorry Tranmere yeah. uh, I think did Big Fetch come on that day? Yeah. So he did. That's that, that's that's what sticks in my mind. Yeah. The disappointment of not winning it. Um, and other than that, really, there's a few little moments in my head that I'm thinking now of that, that season, I think it was. But um, 
the disappointment really of not winning it, but obviously what what a what an achievement to I think especially at the start of the season that it was it was difficult for for Bournemouth and then I joined in January and Eddie and Jace really just from that sort of the moment they came into the football club I know that, that the club never looked back and it's fantastic to now see that they they're, they're sustain themselves in the Premier League and, and I'll, I'll play a part of that it's a really proud thing for me. It's quite interesting. I, on the last week's chat we had with Mark Pugh, um, when Eddie came back, uh, Mark <coughs> Pugh played like 15 matches in a row where we weren't beaten. And then he, he missed one match where we lost at Walsall. And then he came straight back in and we won uh, five in a row. And I said to him, you know, it, you know, obviously, if you're asked how you feel when the team loses, there's going to be that kind of media trained answer like, yeah, I'm really disappointed. But I asked him, was there a perverse pleasure? <laughs> and, he said, and he said, you know, like, it's not rocket science. Of course, I had that. So <laughs> as much as you respect... What did say? <laughs> well, you know, like he said he said it's not rocket science. And he said, well, you know, of course I got pleasure from that. So that's a brilliant answer. But as much as you respect Swindon, the club and its fans, was, was there an element of perverse pleasure seeing the team that you left not get promoted and the one that you joined get promoted? Um, probably, no, I've got to be honest, no, not really. Um, the, I mean, first and foremost in football, you have to be a little bit selfish. And my, my main priority was uh, for Bournemouth to have success. But I'd have really liked it if Swindon had gone up as well, but wasn't to be. But um, not for sure. I didn't take pleasure in them not going up, but... Um, I've got to be honest, my, my main priority was that, um, that, that Bournemouth had success. You're thinking about what the Swindon advertiser are going to print. I'm absolutely <laughs> <laughs> fair enough with that answer. Um, Tommy, um, getting from it to the Championship, um, did you think that we would sustain ourselves in that league? Yeah, I did actually. I, th- I thought we'd be. I thought we'd be careful. We had a good group there. Obviously, we had Eddie and JT, and I. I thought we'd probably have enough. Um, I would have ripped Rand off the tenth, which is obviously where we finished. Um, but I thought we'd have enough to stay up. Mm. But that would that would always be enough for me. I always felt if we could kind of establish ourselves as a championship club, then that would be that'd be brilliant. And I felt the group we had, I felt we had a good chance of doing that for a few seasons. But anything beyond that was just you know not even spoke about really. Mm. What uh, Matt? What percentage do you think Eddie Howe and Jason Tindall are uh, integral to the club's success? I mean, if we didn't have them. What do you think would happen? Oh, one hundred percent. Like this, this, this guy, Jace included, everyone really. But the gaffer was, I don't know. Like you, you, you've seen him. You've seen him speak. You've seen him work. Like he is what he is. He, he, there's no, there's no secrets about him. Absolute pure dedication, hard work, research, all the analysis he has to do, and the the biggest quality that he's got. Is he knows how to he knows how to break it down into small pieces and feed it to the players and get a clear clear message of how he wants to play the system the patterns and I mean that even the first season of the championship I I, I spoke uh, to Luke Rooney as you said the other day and I said that first season of the championship I remember I remember playing we actually got beat a few times I think three or four nil and I remember playing in games thinking how have we lost that game 3-1 or 4-1 or 4-0 or whatever. And because we blew teams away with the ball, but we were a little bit vulnerable when we didn't have it because um, maybe we were open because we were playing such expansive football. And that 
that trying to adapt from League One, where you may get away with that, to the Championship was a challenge that we had to overcome. But again, that was down to Eddie, Eddie and Jason, the, the staff, everyone involved, um, ret, uh, looked at it, uh, uh, analysed it, seen, seen the areas where we had to improve and, and raise the bar. And the big thing I always say now, we need to raise the bar and, and continue to get better and grow. And that came from Eddie, really. Eddie always used to say, continue to do what you do. Don't ever go away from your principles. Mm. Continue to do what you do, but just get better at it. And Bournemouth, the, the, for me, is the best story in football for many, many years. And I'm proud, so proud to be a part of it. And um, I've taken so much from Bournemouth and from Eddie, from Jace, the players as well, on for, for the rest of my career at Newcastle. It was obviously, Matt, a, a very tight-knit group of players because you came up from League One and then you, you carried on through the Championship. Was was it a team that, that uh, you all got on with? Did you have any uh, sort of arguments with people? Oh, I was always round with everyone, but only only because <laughs> we, we always wanted the best for each other, though. The, the, the group was... We had such a close group and it was such a... It was a unique group, really, because... We didn't really, there was only a few seasons where the, the gaffer would go and maybe add two or three players, but he'd be very specific in the players that he did add, uh, made sure that their characters were correct, they're, they was going to fit into the group. And again, that comes down to good management. But um, the team, really, the core of the team and the people that, I remember Gozo coming in, what, like, what a lad, what a player. Uh, Junior came in from, I think he came from Burnley. Like, mm. Unbelievable ability, but great lad as well. Like just real good lads, good players and added something to the group. And that's so important because um, the, 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 the squad is, is, as you know, especially in the championship season is so important. And it was, uh, it was a special, special season and a special group of players and everyone now, I mean, I was at Portsmouth for many years and, but us, the, the Bournemouth lads are the ones that I have a connection with. We, we talk, speak to Chaz a lot, Frano, H, Tommy even, um, who, as you said, I've seen Tommy sing. He said we was always at each other's throats. But, I mean, it was, again, I echo what Tommy said. It was because we just, we both had the same desire to win, to have success. And we both wanted the best. And it was nice to see him say that, that we're both, uh, we're both on the same page. Yeah, good stuff. Your international career then started to blossom uh, whilst we were in the championship. Um and uh, yeah, I mean, firstly, I'll ask you about how it came about that you played for Scotland. But also we had a question from Rob saying, how how strange did it feel to make your first visit to Scotland to play your first international for your country? Yeah, it was, uh, I get it. it was my, my dad's, my dad was born in Edinburgh. Um, so that's where my Scottish tie comes from. Um, I'd never actually... I'm glad you asked the question. Did I get a chance to explain myself? The, uh, <laughs> the reason I've never been is honestly because my, my dad and my grandma and granddad from the Scottish side of my family moved down to Portsmouth. My granddad was in the Navy and he moved down to Portsmouth. And um, it was always my, my dad's brother, my dad and uh, his mum and dad were, as I say, in, in gospel in the end they ended up. And... Um, all my aunties and uncles from Scotland would always come down to see us, to visit. And we, it was just, I don't know why, it was because we had two young families of young children. We never travelled up to Scotland. It was a long trip or whatever. But So they always came to visit us. So I was always, that's why I never went to Scotland. 
really. Mm. Um, but uh, I always felt my dad, when I was younger, obviously, if there was ever England, Scotland or whatever, it was uh, like my dad would be wanting us to wear Scotland shirts and things like that. So obviously it was uh, in the household, it was sort of a pull, but no, for, for sure I felt like I felt so proud to, to go and play for Scotland and and uh, it was it was it was a proud moment obviously for me and my dad that to get called up. I've got I've got a bit of a follow up to that, Matt. How much abuse do you get from Ryan Fraser and others about your lack of a Scottish accent? <laughs> to be fair, I I used to get there. I was in a good group in Scotland because when I went to, with the squad first time, there was probably it was probably half and half. It was like yeah, probably fifty percent was was Scottish lads playing in Scotland. And then the rest were, some, there was probably good seven or eight that were real, like me, English spoken. Um, so no, it's, uh, yeah, I do get a bit of stick, but more, more, more from outside the squad, to be honest. Yeah, loved it. And uh, scored um, scored a few goals for Scotland. One of them was an absolute corker. I remember, I can't remember the match, but bloody hell, you hit it well. Um, and you scored many a good goal for FC Bournemouth. So the championship uh, second season that we had, Tom Jordan, you finishing. 10th in our first season um not bad any expectations for the second no i'd have um i'd like like matt said we we played some really good stuff in that first season so you always kind of think oh maybe we could make a push but i think really if i was asked at the start of the season would i take 10th again i probably would just because i've never seen bournemouth for that level so um didn't want to kind of get ahead of myself but um like matt said it it, it must show i think it's testament to what eddie must do because we only added little bits. It was still, I remember like obviously grab and went and we brought Callum Wilson in two kind of goal scorers, but we didn't really change an awful lot. But like you say, that first season, we took a few beatings, uh, maybe a little bit naive at times, but the players all continued to play in the same way. And we just seemed to that, I think that bond and that team spirit just carried us so far. And that second season was just something special. Mm. And Jeff, Jeff, was it um, Tommy Elphick who said that you know it almost felt like Eddie Howard signed a team of misfits? Is that right? Yeah, that's what he called you all. And uh, I, I think you know because probably so many of the the squad had been let go, you know, by bigger clubs or you know had, had, had been on loan and not really found a club very easy to come by, like you know, like yourself, I guess. Um, but yeah, the way it, everything bonded together under that management, I think, I think what you said earlier about it being such a strong unit really, really helped. And and for me, that that first game where you tonked Huddersfield, wasn't it four 0 was the well the one for me where I thought, geez, we've got a chance here because that, that was some performance. And and you just carried on. It seemed to me to to play like that for so many games. Yeah, for sure, it was. Um... I, I sort of agree with Tommy in a way that obviously, like you say, there was players that um, had sort of been rejected at a higher level or whatever, but I think that's that's sort of what I gave. That's, that's, that's certainly for myself. It, it, I had fire in my belly that I wanted to prove and, and achieve. And I, I'm sure that was the same for all the lads, um, all the lads that, that was involved in, in that squad. And it was... Yeah, the. the, the the, the main thing for me was the improvement individually and collectively because it's okay trying to ask players to do things or work hard, do this, but the players the players were so lucky to have Eddie and Jason, the coaching staff, as I said, because honestly, I'm not lying. We, we worked every day at as, as much intensity as we possibly could with as much detail that the everything we've done 
was done for a reason. It wasn't just, oh, we'll just chuck a key ball in today or we'll do the... It was everything was done in the build-up to the game to have success or how can or we finish the session and, right, let's take Matty and Frano and we do... Me, Frano and H would maybe do some, some link play in a wide area or crossing and finishing. Something that was going to make us better. And there was no, it, it was never anything done just for the sake of being done. And the, the attention to detail in everything, every day, was unbelievable. And I used to wonder, what's the gaffer doing here at like 7am or whatever? Mm-hmm. And um, it, it, that's what he was doing. He was preparing sessions and, and so, as I said at the start, hard work and get out what you put in. Yeah, so in a in that interview with in the box, it was quite interesting because you were asked to name your sort of all time favourite eleven players that you've played with, and you gave starting positions to Simon Francis, uh, Charlie Daniels over people like Andy Robertson, um, Harry Arter. I think that was more you had to because he named you in his. Um, <laughs> also, uh, Callum Wilson, uh, and also the last one you were a bit unsure of, but in the end you put Jan Kermigan in there. Um, there are lots of Cherries fans that absolutely love Jan, and as a as a mini tribute to him, obviously he's he's just announced his retirement. Can you just tell me about him and what he brought to that AFC Bournemouth side when you played with him? This this guy, I, I don't know how the fans felt about him. I'm sure they loved him. I'm sure, but oh yeah, yes, um, <laughs> yeah. This this guy for me was like was like the the perfect gentleman. He was he trained unbelievably. He was always in the gym. He was like the, the ultimate professional. But at the same time, he was like such a nice guy. Um, so down to earth. And I used to look at him and think, like, you're so good. How, how are you this laid back? And um, <laughs> honestly, it, it, was, it was unbelievable. And I don't know, I think all the lads, the, the, the lads loved him because he gave us something that we didn't have. Like he could win a game out of nothing. You if you look at the Bournemouth team, what it was, we never had, I've always said, we never had any superstars. We just had real good team uh, structure, um, philosophy, and, and we all stuck to it. And Yanni gave us that spark. He, he had something that he could, like the, the free kick at Brighton. I remember the free mm. kick at Brighton. For me, oh, yeah. Underestimated. That's one of the biggest moments in that season for me. Um, massive game. I think it was one always at the time. Nil, uh, nil, nil, nil. Yeah, yeah. Or it, was, it could even have been nil-nil actually, because we yeah, weren't playing very nil. well. Yeah, yeah, it was nil-nil. He scored, and then Callum made it too. Correct. Um, so I mean, like them sort, those sort of moments that we didn't have players that really could do that, and uh, he, the lads loved him. Um, I still speak to Yanni now. Uh, what a guy! I, I, I've got so much respect for him and time for him. Uh, so what point, Tom, Jordan, what point that season did you, I think I've probably asked you this before, so I'll ask you and then I'll ask Matt himself, you know, what point did you think we could get promoted with this lot? I mean, I was pretty nervous, so I probably didn't think it till Bolton. But um, no, <laughs> I think deep down, I think like Jeff said, I think after that first first game, you don't want to get carried away with yourself. But you, you look at the team and, you know, what they've been doing consistently. And like I say, even in that first season, and you just think it only takes a run. It only takes a little run in this league. It's a... Uh, it's a league where every team drops points to anyone. It's such a competitive league, as we all know. And if you can get on any sort of run, you don't know, it could take you anywhere. So, um, yeah, I was always quietly optimistic that we could maybe sneak the playoffs. Um, and like you said, with with people like Jan, that we just pull, I mean, I think you're a little bit 
um, bit modest there, Max. I think when I've described someone that can turn a game out of nothing, I'd also put you in that bracket. I think you and you and Yam were <laughs> just, you. you know, like the Brighton game was a great example. We were probably one of the poorest performances of that season. And then you get a free kick and Yam pops in the top corner. And we, we started to have that about us. And I felt early on that champ in that second season, I just felt we had a little bit more uh, bite about us. We weren't as, even though we still played in that open way, I didn't think there was any sort of naivety. I thought we were on it every week and we were just blowing teams away. So I think more the more the games went on, the more I started believing we could we can maybe sneak in that top six. Yeah. I mean, surely the eight 0 stood out for you as one of the memorable matches that season, did it, Matt? Yeah, it did. Yeah, I've been on a goal drought personally as well, and I scored that game, and uh, that was massive personally for me. I always wanted to score goals, and I remember being really low before scoring really because uh, it was a big part of my game and I couldn't get one and uh, managed to get one that day but yeah that was I mean even now when I talk about that season or whatever even uh, then I'll be sitting in the dressing room with the Newcastle lads and they'll talk about that championship season and they'll say oh, did you play when Bournemouth beat them 8-0 and mm-hmm. it's uh it was an unbelievable day and um Fury's hat trick and mm-hmm. I think Frano, Frano was unbelievable that day and uh, it was a it was a day that I felt um, felt good for TK as well because TK had obviously had to yeah. stick with, since he came and I think he's he scored as well so it's a it was a real good day all round and one of those special days that you never forget. But I mean uh, you know I know we were free scoring and everything but you know to score eight nil at Birmingham it's just bizarre. I mean have you ever been involved in such a high score line before? No, no, and and such domination really. I remember I remember getting the ball. It was like a training session. It's, uh, of attack v defence and it was just waves and waves and waves I mean that's no disrespect to Birmingham because they're some very good players but mm. we were so we were so good and so uh, we was just, everything just went for us that day and as you say it doesn't normally finish 8-0 but I don't know that day we were uh, we were we were we were in good form You scored lots of amazing goals that season Matt and uh, Simon K wanted to know have you ever surprised even yourself with one of your amazing free kicks and thought OMG, WTF, <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> um, I've got to be honest, the best feeling I've ever had probably was uh, the Bolton, the, the the one I slotted against Bolton. Yanni, I think Yanni set, teed me up. Um, that was my, probably one of my favourite goals. Actually, I said to Rooms the other week that it was my volley, but looking back and thinking, I, I, um, I've watched the Bolton one so many times, the feeling... I get goosebumps when I talk about it. Um, it. It was, it was so special, and 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 it was a it was a tidy finish. I really like that goal. But my Sheffield Wednesday free kick that you showed at the start. Now, I remember the feeling. I think, like you say, Smudge gave the penalty away. But I remember, I think Harry Arter ran. I think he ran up and celebrated on his own. And, yeah. uh, it was, <laughs> but that was again. That was massive. Obviously, a Sheffield Wednesday one where. I think it was a week before we got promoted. It was like we had to win. I think it was nil nil at the time. Did we go two one up with a free kick? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's yeah. No, I think uh, Jan scored a header to make it two one. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, no, no, sorry, uh, to equalise and then yeah, your free kick made it two one. That's right. Two one, yeah, yeah. So I mean, that that was for me the feeling. I remember celebrating on in the left hand side, and um, the feeling was was unbelievable. And uh, one of my one of my most favourite goals for sure. Is that your favourite? <laughs> no, the Bolton one still for the feelings. Yeah, I was going to say mean, actually when you were talking sure. about um, 
Jan as well. That I thought that was it was really nice that that week that kind of promotion and champions week. You scored two beautiful goals, one against Bolton that you mentioned, and then the your opener against Charlton, and both of them were just sublime little cushions from from Jan that you just bent in. They were both very similar. This is why he was in my team in, in Rudy's podcast. Uh, <laughs> honestly, I, I felt like when I played with Yanni, the way the way that I, I've never been a winger that's going to beat someone and, and just knock the ball past him and run. I've never had pace, really. So I always needed someone to play with. And, and Yanni gave me that. I knew where Yanni was always going to be. Sometimes he's a little bit lazy and never got across. But um, more often than not, he was there for me as a, as a sort of a cushion to play with. And I, I really enjoyed playing with him. It was, it was great. So explain what that night was like then. I mean, what did you get up to that evening? Because I saw you on um, Sky Sports News the next day looking uh, a little bit worse for wear live on air. Yeah, I did. Um, someone said this to me, but honestly, I don't, I, I, I'm not a big drinker. I don't drink. And I, I can't remember if I even had a drink that night. <laughs> I was probably singing that. Like I, 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 enjoy, I enjoy myself and enjoyed it, but I can't remember. I actually, I honestly, can't remember. I remember the league one when we got promoted. Mm. Um, I remember, I remember going out that that time, um, and that was good. But I don't honestly don't remember the the evening of that championship. I, I remember in the dressing room, and um, I remember going upstairs. We went there. There was a there was a little party upstairs that we had straight after the game, but. Honestly, I, I, I can't remember, to be honest. In terms of unexpected achievements, would you say that's right up there in your football career? Because no one, I mean, every, all of the media never thought it would happen. No, not really. Um, I've got to be honest. I, I, don't know, I don't know how it works in football. Obviously, on the outside looking in, it's probably different. But when you're in it, you, you just want success and... As you said earlier, I think the, the first season in the champ, I went to Bournemouth and, and Eddie said to me when I went there, he said, the, 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 the plan is to get promotion. Uh, we got promotion and then all of a sudden you're in the championship and, and you want to kick on again. First season, as you said, Tom, try and sustain as a, as a championship club. And yes, 10th position would take that. And I think we're a little bit unlucky that season actually not to get in the playoffs. We had a bad run, I think, just after Christmas maybe. And um, or towards the end, we had a bad run and just fell away from the playoffs. But... Again, expectation. There wasn't any. It was. It was a nice way to to play, but stay in the stay in the championship. But the I think when you're in it, you just want to keep improving. And as I said, Eddie Eddie never never took his foot off the gas. He always wanted every. If you wanted to play for Bournemouth, you had to be at full pelt, and um, that that was that was how it was. And I loved it. I loved um, uh, the, the the everything was down to the detail, nutrition, psychology, recovery. Everything was the best that the club could possibly afford. And that was down to Eddie and the, the, the team trying to all... Because Eddie can put that there for us, but the players have to buy into it and, and, and use it. And, and more often than not, the majority of the group did that. And when you get the majority in the dressing room, all of a sudden everyone comes with you. And, and that's what it was like. And honestly, the, the I go to... I went to Newcastle and I, I tell the lads about how professional and um, how unbelievable it was. And, and uh, it's, it, it's something that I was proud of, really proud of. And, and I feel like um, you, you go to, you, you go to uh, different stages and different places in your career 
And as I said, Bournemouth was, for me, a really, really special time. And I'll always remember that. Was it always uh, understood that the squad would largely stay together? Because a lot of teams get promoted from the Championship and the players who get them up to the Premier League, suddenly they fall by the wayside and there's loads of big, big money spent to bring you know, Premier League quality players in, allegedly. Um, I remember Fulham a few years ago did that badly. But, but did, did that ever worry that you might be offloaded if you got into the Premier League? I think if you take time to worry about not making the grade, um, you, you, you're only going to go one way and probably not make the grade. You need to believe in yourself. Um, I certainly had a inner, I don't know, I had a, I had a desire to perform in the Premier League. I felt like at Bournemouth it was um, an unbelievable opportunity because the, of the, the manager we had, the way we played, uh, because I knew that we'd go into the Premier League and the manager was so uh, clear of his message. This is how we're going to play. We're going to continue to play the way. And we had meetings at the start of the season. We're going to continue to play the way we play and we're going to get better at doing that. And that's exactly what we did. And it was um, it was something that, I don't know when you, when, as I said, when you're in it, you 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 have to believe because if we don't, if the players don't believe, if the, the staff don't believe, it, you're never going to make the fans believe. And I think that shows in a performance. And even now, if you don't believe you can win a game, then it, it will show in your performance. And uh, for sure, the group had so much belief and and uh, and desire to achieve. Mm, so we got into the Premier League. Um, absolutely superb. Uh, it didn't start off brilliant. Lost at home against Villa where, well, I mean, we battered them, but somehow we lost that game, lost at Liverpool, but then came um, the 4-3 at West Ham, which is our first Premier League win. It was great to score uh, that, well, you know, four goals, Callum Wilson's hat-trick. But then it wasn't before long um, where you yourself popped up on the score sheet. And, it, I mean, it, it wasn't a bad goal, was it? <laughs> it was, uh, as I said, it was one of my... It was up there with one of my favourite goals. Uh, first, first Premier League goal. Um, I've watched it a few times. I must be honest. Uh, um, yeah, no, it was, a, it was a good, real good feeling. But um, the West Ham game, as you mentioned, now I remember the West Ham game. Uh, I had a job to do on Cresswell that day, and uh, I remember working all week. The manager wanted me, wanted me to stop his uh, his balls down the line, and Wilson, I think, scored a hat trick, and we we were real dominant that day. And, uh, great game to play in and uh, fantastic stadium. Obviously, it was uh, it was nice to play there before they moved on. So um, yeah, no. But my goal at, at home and especially at home as well to, to score it at home in front of the fans was was really pleasing. I'll say uh, just quickly before we hand over to Jeff. Um, so obviously in lockdown, we've not really been knowing what to do. So we did a, a sort of World Cup of AFC Bournemouth uh, Premier League goals where we started off with 32 of the best Premier League strikes. We had votes. We had groups of four. We we built it down, quarterfinals, semifinals. So in the final was yourself versus Charlie Daniels against Manchester City. And um, it went down to the wire, but Charlie Daniels emerged victorious with 54% of the vote. Do you feel a bit hard <laughs> done by with that? I'll have to drop him a text. <laughs> unbelievable. To be fair, I'd agree with it. His goal, I remember it. It was unbelievable. However, though, you know, technically, Tom, that strike, you know, there was more to it, wasn't it, with, you know, with Matty's? Because he not only had a defender approaching him, he chested it. It was a nice, you know... He chested it really, you know, nicely, shaped his body like outside of the instep, and then what a finish. 
what were your memories from that day? Oh, it was incredible. Yeah, I remember being a bit of a bit of shock that, that the ball hit the net, to be fair. Um, I think, like you say, Charlie's goal was absolutely amazing. But I remember at the time when you're doing the World Cup of goals, I was really plugging, plugging Matt's goal because I just think the, the technique's different. I mean, Charlie's goal was incredible. But I think if you try it enough times, you might be able to nick one in. I, there's no way I've played football very uh, low level. There's no way I'd ever be able to do what Matt did. I feel like if I had 100 attempts at Charlie's, I might be able to sneak one in. So that was my kind of reasoning. But um, no, it was a special goal and probably even more special for you now that it was against Sunderland. So, yeah, it's worked well for you. In that first season, Matt, there were a couple of victories that stood out. Uh, what's it feel like to beat a top six side, which you did a couple of times in, in that season? Yeah, it's. Um, I'm trying to think of the games we've won in the first season now. Um but it, it, to beat to beat the top teams is so difficult. It's like, especially the, the year we went up, our, obviously the budget and things like that. That's what all the press and the media look at. And um, to go and to go and beat them top teams, it gives you. So, I think it was Man United was the one. That was that yeah, two one, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, the, the Man United one, and, and I, I feel like they're such special memories and such special um, moments, and not only for the players and the, and. The, the people involved inside the building, but for the fans as well, because it then gives everyone hope that when City come or Liverpool come, it gives you that um, gives you that hope that we can maybe nick something today. And all of a sudden, rather than saying our oh, City are coming today, we'll take two nil or we get beat two nil, it'll be okay as long as we don't get a, a drum in. It, it, the, the feeling changes, and and that's the same in the in the dressing room as well. I think we played. Um, we played Liverpool in the cup the year before in the championship. Um, I think we got beat three 0 but we actually did okay. And um, and I think we took a lot from games like that going into the Premier League because yes, we got beat, but we got beat in a way that we tried to play football and we performed the way we performed all season. But they punished us in our mistakes, and I think we learned a lot from that going into the Premier League and. and as you say, we did. We had we had a, a bit of success against the, uh, the top six, which is is very good. Mm, I think you really sort of came into your own in the um, in that Premier League season. And one, I've got to say, one thing that Bournemouth loved about you, obviously, you know, your technical ability on your pitch, but also was your celebrations. And whether it was a goal that you scored or one by your teammate, you showed the same release of energy that the fans did in the stadium. And I think this is the reason why many Bournemouth fans found it quite difficult. There was not much resentment, but when you, you know, did go to uh, Newcastle United or it was rumoured and then it happened, um, you know, we found it hard to deal with. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about how that came about and, you know, what prompted your decision to move? Yeah, as I said uh, earlier on, my connection with Bournemouth is unbelievable and I'll always have that. Um, I love the football club. I live locally now. Um, when I when I can get my family live locally now. When I can get back, I'm in the area. I come to a few games. So my my feeling towards Bournemouth and the people and the, the people I was there with is still the same. I absolutely loved it and love 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 the people that that were there. Um, the reason I moved on, um, honestly, the the challenge of a big 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 football club, which was Newcastle, um, and. I don't know. I just felt like financially it was better for me, um, and and obviously that that has to come into play. But it it was just 
I don't know, I just, I've been there, what, four, four years, four and a half years. It just felt like the right time. It felt like um, it felt like it was right. And, and it was something that, that really did float my boat. But I'd never, I'd never moved away from home. Um, I'd always lived in, I lived at home at Portsmouth. I'd been on loan a few places and, and lived in hotels and things, but I'd never moved away. And it was always something I really fancied and, and to, to have a challenge, not only in football, but in my life as well. And I felt like it would make me a better and a stronger person. It's certainly done that. It's, it's brought its challenges moving, moving to Newcastle. But um, it's something that, I don't know, at the time, it was a massive, huge decision. But yeah. um, something I really want to do. And actually, you took a step down, didn't you, Matt? Because you went down to the Championship again. I, I reckon you just love winning promotion from the Championship to the Premier League, don't you? I've I got to be honest. Um, the Premier League is, is the Premier League. It's is a fantastic league and something that I'm really, really enjoying playing in and, and, and loving it. But there's something about the Championship that um, Saturday, Tuesday, you don't, when you get in the swing of it, you don't really train properly, if you like, because... You're always aware that there's there's games and uh, recovery or whatever, so your your training's tailored. But um, the championship is so intense; it's like it's a roller coaster. And I I love you when I was I said I was speaking to my wife the other day about it, actually the difference between the Premier League and the, and the championship. Sometimes in the Premier League it feels like you're waiting for a game if it's Saturday to Saturday. Mm. As in the championship, it's like you're you're waiting for just an afternoon where you could chill out because. It was um, it was so intense, but I loved it. I really did. Mm. Tommy Elphick um, said that the size of the stadium and the fan base at Aston Villa played a, a big part in him leaving the club. Um, this is a question from Nick Case, by the way. Um, and he felt it was a shame that we hadn't grown our stadium, given the potential that we saw, for instance, on the beach with the huge numbers there. I think it was like 56,000 or something that they worked out. Do you... Do you share those feelings, or did that all did that influence your move to Newcastle as well? Knowing they've got such a huge fan base, yeah, for sure, it was a it was a big influence. Yeah, but I, I wouldn't for one minute um, and look, look at. I, I think Bournemouth's moved so quickly, and the success came so quickly that there can be um, certainly no fingers pointed that there's the why have we not got a bigger stadium or, or whatever? Because I think they're they're certainly in the process of, of trying to do something. Uh, with the training ground and, and the stadium as well, so um, it, it wasn't uh, it, it wasn't like I didn't enjoy playing at Dean Court because the, the, oh, it was a vitality stadium when 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 I left I think, but the, for me that it was it's such a special place. It's like yes, it's small, but it's it's, it's tidy. It's everything's in the right place. It's not there's no tattiness about it. It's, it was like um, although it's an old quite an old stadium, it was like a it's quite modern inside and, and it was always nice it was a warm place and and somewhere that as i say fantastic memories for myself personally and, and everyone that's been at the club over the last 10 years so nice um really really special place but yes moving to newcastle was a challenge that playing in front of fifty-two thousand fans every week was something that i i, I wanted and and embraced the challenge what would you, I mean, the need to sort of move on and further your career um, means that it, it feels like you perhaps maybe haven't had the sort of closure for certain clubs that you've left. Um, what would your message be for any Cherries fans who, who might feel a morsel of resentment about your move to Newcastle? Um, 
yeah, I wouldn't say that I didn't have closure at Bournemouth because I felt like the the, the success of, of um, obviously the promotions getting to the Premier League was fantastic. Would I have um, would I have loved to stay at Bournemouth and, and and still be part of the group now? Yes, um, it's it's uh, it's a, as I said earlier, it's a fantastic club and and one that I love and the people there, I love the people so. Yes, I'd love to. I would love to be a part of that, but you can't have it all. And a challenge at Newcastle was what I wanted, and and I've gone to Newcastle. I've had great success there. Um, we we got promoted there as as we as we hoped in the the first season, and we've had a couple of good finishes in the Premier League and sustained Premier League status. So I'm thoroughly enjoying my time at Newcastle and, and loving that challenge. And as I said, the challenge of being away from home and and things like that bring bring different challenges but one that's some that I'm really enjoying and, and I, I love I love playing on the Saturday at St James's Park. So Jeff, should we um should we quickly ask a few questions that people have uh submitted and yeah. uh and then we'll move on to what's happened at Newcastle. So to sum up your AFCB career, Jeff? So uh Sheila Marie Burke says uh she was gutted when you left the Cherries. What would you consider your favourite most complete game in a cherry shirt? Oof. Um Blackpool Way is a game that I really, really loved. Um I remember turning up, the pitch was horrific. I think they played a reserve game on the Friday night on it. Mm. Um I can't remember that um what was the manager's name? He's, he's a, he lives in Newcastle, the fellow. Uh, Lee Black Clark, was it? Lee Clark. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. A, he, he lives in Newcastle, so I, mm. I, I, see, him, I see him about. But um, he was the manager, and I remember they played, a, they played a reserve game on the Friday night to basically tear the pitch up, mm. and they certainly did that. But uh, I remember I scored a scuffed goal early on, and then later on I scored a, a nice curling goal, and I think we won 4-1 on the day. Um, I think it was six, wasn't it? Six. It was six, six man. Yeah. So yeah, it was. Um, it was. It was. That was for me probably a game where I, I don't know. I just really enjoyed it. Um, I really did love that game. Yeah, good stuff. We also had one from Matthew who said, um, "What do you, did you consider your best goal?" But we've we've pretty much gone over that. Also, Will James, thank you very much. Um, Tommy Heffernan's poodle um, said, asked the same question as well. Um, also quoting that one of his favourites was that Charlton away one where we won three 0 and clinched the title. Um, Brian Churchill also said the same thing. So Andy Gray, uh, before we talk about Newcastle, Andy Gray, Cherries fan said, do you, do you still keep in contact with anyone regularly from the club? Yes, for sure. Yeah, I speak to a fair few of the lads. Um, as I said, as you know, the, the, the dressing room is such a such a tight knit dressing room that. Um, those, those those people that you have that that amount of success with, and the way we the way we had it was uh, special. And for sure, I uh, I, I really didn't uh, I really did enjoy that. And, and speak to uh, quite fairly probably seven or eight of the lads regularly. And um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's really nice. What does it feel like going from eleven thousand to fifty thousand? Um. I've got to be honest. I loved it. Uh, I loved. I loved the pressure. I, loved, I always. I always felt like pressure brought the, the best out of me. I remember. I remember the, the, the. I think it was the championship season. The gaffer brought in uh, Junior, and I used to watch Junior in training and think this guy is unbelievable. Like I mean, you've seen now when 
where he's been so unlucky with injuries. But you see now the ability that June's got. And, um, I used to watch him and think, how am I going to stay in the team here? I need to stay in the team. And um, he he put so, he probably doesn't know it, but he did. He put so much pressure on me um, to 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 perform, and and that that brought the best out of me and pushed me. And that's what teammates are supposed to do. And um, that pressure, I felt the same when I went to Newcastle. Obviously, it was a it was a big club, a big challenge, and to to play in front of that is a is a unique feeling and, and something that I love doing and, and still love it today. So hopefully that long may that continue. But yeah, no, the fe- the feeling is it's just pure pressure, but it's it's good because I mean um, they're, they're, as everyone knows the the fans at Newcastle they've got so much expectation and. Um, and they want to achieve, and and I want to try and try and be there and and, and be part of that when it does happen. The uh, Luke Rooney interview. You said that training um, went from ultra regimented at Bournemouth to when you initially joined. It was a bit shambolic. You said. Well, can you expand on what you meant by that? Yeah, it wasn't. I, I didn't mean training at Newcastle was shambolic. I, I, the I said the dressing room. The dressing room that we had at Bournemouth was obviously everyone had been there for a long time. Everyone knew the drill. Everyone knew like being early. It was it was normal to get in early to go in the gym to um, to be out. There wasn't like a first person out the training pitch because everyone was out the training pitch, boom, ready and raring to go. And when I went to Newcastle, I said in in, in the interview with Brooms, and I know a few of the papers have picked up on it and. And try to twist it a little bit, but that's what the press do, I suppose. But um, the, what what my point was that there was players, as you get, the, the club had been relegated, there was players that had moves lined up, and not that they were unprofessional in any way whatsoever, because they were, that was the complete opposite. They were very, very professional. But when you're preparing for a championship season, which for me was a huge, a huge decision to go to Newcastle, I went there thinking this is a big club, I want to go there, get my head down straight away and achieve and have success. And I got there and it was like four of of what you'd say are your better players. They wanted to go. Um, So I'm like in training, you can, anyone that's trained with players that don't want to be there, you, 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 however professional they are, after training, they'll be standing with the manager after training saying, how am I going to get out? Or can you sort this? So there was, there was feelings around the place that wasn't for me wasn't normal, um, but again that comes with experience of moving. Yeah. I now have a I now have a better picture, a better perspective of how football works, and because I've seen those sort of um, those, those those things go on. So for sure it wasn't it shambles, maybe mm. a bit a bit of a uh, the wrong word to use, but it was different because as I said, I was used to everyone knew the drill. I went to Newcastle and it wasn't so much that because, as I say, some players wanted to be at different clubs and, and that's how football works. We had a message from Steve Hensman who asked uh, how your Geordie accent is. Um, probably about as good as your Scottish accent, I suppose. And, and also yeah. uh, Chris Meppham's Welsh accent too. But um, in terms of playing in front of 11,000 people at the Vitality um, and then you go to St James's Park, you know, whatever it is there, up to 50,000 or more, like... What does playing in front of such a sizable crowd bring you? Is it more motivation, increased pressure? No, not definitely not more motivation. The the 
that comes from within, from your from your manager, from your from yourself, from your teammates, for your teammates. Certainly not more motivation, but what I don't know. Maybe the the atmosphere. I suppose the atmosphere. At, when when there's a good atmosphere at St James's, it's unbelievable. When there's a bad atmosphere, it takes excuse me, it takes bollocks to to play. Um, That's what I don't worry. <laughs> But it does. It, you've got to, you you got to um, you got to have, have belief in yourself. You've got to not be not not be afraid to make mistakes because when you hear fifty two thousand Geordies groan, it's a uh, it's not a nice feeling. But you have to get on with it. Mm. Jeff, what are the um, what are the similarities and differences between Eddie and playing for Rafa? Um, the similarities is the attention to detail, whether it be. It, it, they both look at the game, I think, in different ways, um, as a lot of managers do. But the, the the attention to detail for me is just that there's everything with the, their preparation, um, the the analysis that they do on the, the teams coming up or the games that have gone and, and things like that. The, the small, small details that people probably look at and think that doesn't make a difference. But honestly, the, the when when they show it to you and present it to you the way that they do, it's uh it's it's massive in success. Mm. Tom, how did you feel watching uh, Matt Ritchie play his first few games in a black and white striped shirt rather than red and black? Horrible, isn't it? Yeah, not nice. Um, <laughs> no, I think obviously when Newcastle in the championship, it kind of made me pick a championship team. I guess you know you wanted Matt was brilliant for us, so you wanted to see him do well. Um, not as nice when he comes back to Dean Court and puts one in the top corner, but. Um, <laughs> Won't bring that one up too much, but no, it's um, like I say, it was it was really difficult for Bournemouth fans to to see Matt go. But um, I was go- I was going to ask actually, like you were saying then about the kind of changing capacities of the grounds and things like that. What's been the because you, like you said you've been you're at Portsmouth. I think you went on loan to Notts County or something, which was probably furthest north. Um, what's been the difference, kind of going all the way up north like that? And what's the most thing you think you've had to adapt to? Or, do you, or have you just found it quite quite simple, really? Just get on with your game? No, I think um, so much changed in my life. I, I, um, we had a, My wife had a baby. The year, this, it was the summer that I moved. So um, when I moved to Newcastle, we were in a hotel. Um, my little boy was three months old. It was... Um, Obviously, that changes you as a person because you have to then become a, a real adult. Um, so a lot, a lot's changed in my life as well as moving in football. So um, the biggest challenge was that it was moving away. Obviously, my wife moving away from all the support we had around us. That we that's all, what we always knew. So moving away up to Newcastle and, and sort of just um, just finding our feet on our own really. But I think that brought us closer together uh, as a family. And um, and it, it was a really good challenge, but something that is uh, is something that I definitely look back on and and think I was brave to do, and, and I'm proud of myself and my family for for for, make, for taking that decision for sure. Yeah, good stuff. We had a number of questions that people uh, submitted, which you've already sort of answered. So thank you, Steve Butler, Mark Jackson, Nathan Nichols, Mr. Tiggs, Phil McGuinness, um, and Matthew as well for all your questions. That uh, And we've got more to come. We won't keep you too long, Matt. But just want to say, if you're viewing this and you're liking this content, uh, do feel free to press the like button, but also subscribe because there's more to come. 
and a big name next week as well, which uh, myself and Jeff will keep under our hats for the meantime. So life in Newcastle then, Matt, um, I don't think it'd be an unfair assessment to suggest that Bournemouth is not an archetypal football town, uh, whereas Newcastle, it's a city that seems to live and breathe football. The whole week is based around the weekend game. What what was the notice? The sort of notable difference when you joined them? Um, well, the, dif- the biggest difference is when I when I was, uh, as I said, when I signed for Bournemouth, I lived in um, I lived in Whiteley, and then when uh, the, when we got promoted, I moved to the New Forest, and uh, in the New Forest, I, I'm, I'm tucked away. No one, uh, no one really around here knows about football, watches football, and then I went to Newcastle, and this place is just, as you said, it's just football, football, football. Everyone, like whether it's either anyone, you go for food, you go into the supermarket, everyone's talking about football, and it was, uh, it was, it was crazy. Like you go to Waitrose or wherever you went, it's just ah, oh, what the game, or you got this, good luck at the weekend, and. Just small things like that that I wasn't used to. That was the biggest thing for me. And getting used to that took took a while. I've got to be honest. Like you go for dinner and people join you at the end of the table and say, oh, would you mind if I have a minute? And I'm thinking like, I'm having dinner. <laughs> but, but you get used to it. And, and the more it happens, and honestly, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's fantastic because you feel the passion. And, and that's what that's where the pressure comes from as well. Because you know, the, the, especially in the championship season, that, that season... The, the the fans were so desperate to get promoted as well as obviously the players excuse me that every every conversation you have was about do you think we get promoted or uh, can't believe we've been beat or whatever it was but honestly they're so passionate and, and to be part of that and the football is just the football club is just it's the heart and soul of the city and mm-hmm. it's, uh, oh, it's, it's brilliant and it's great to be a part of it Richard Jackson and uh, also asked us, he, he was talking about the, the strain of expectation that you get. And a, a lot of players, uh, I think it'd be fair to say, have gone to a club like Newcastle and struggled. But how, how have you managed to cope? Um, I think one of my biggest qualities is I always give everything. Um, and it's gone, it, it went down really well from the minute I get there. I mean, I had good advice when I went there. Spoke to a few lads that have played there, and um, and the people, the, the staff at the football club are fantastic. I've got really good relationships with them, and all of them said to me, "No matter what you do, Matty, as long as you give everything, the, the people of this city will, will love you." Um, and so I, I was lucky enough; I got off to a good start in the in the championship, scored a few goals, and um, and and felt like I was significant that season. So. That that got me up on a on a on a good start, and and I've I've just really enjoyed it and tried to continue with. I've, I've had many many bad games, but if I'm having a bad game, I continue to try and get on the ball. Um, I continue to work hard. I continue to try and help my help my teammates. And uh, you can only as a as a player, you can only you can only give your best. And if your if your best isn't good enough, you'll soon find yourself out of the team anyway. So um, it, mm. it, it's it's something that is so such simple principles really, but. I think it goes a long, long, long way with with the fans of Newcastle for sure. Yeah, like you say, I think the sort of you know the Newcastle fans will love you if you put in one hundred and ten percent, and that's what you always did, um, week in, week out at Bournemouth. Now I'll ask Matt this question shortly, but first, Tom, I'll come to you. If you're a professional footballer, 
you've got Paolo Di Canio as your manager, then you've got Eddie Howe, then you've got Rafa Benitez, and then Steve Bruce. Would you would you consider that a sort of roller coaster of your managerial expertise or what? Yeah, it's a good mix, isn't it? I think I think probably for for Matt, it's worked quite well in the sense that, like we were talking about earlier, um, kind of with Eddie, who's a very offensive coach, um, you just out on the wing and playing good attacking football. And then when you ended up getting Rafa in charge, was kind of you were moving back, you know, left wing back and things like that. And if you're going to look at potentially playing left back, left wing back at Newcastle, to have someone like Rafa and then Steve Bruce that are quite I don't want to say defensive minded. I think that sounds a little bit like like a negative, but just that they uh, really focus on that, and that's going to bring the best best for you, I think, playing in that defensive mould with them sort of managers. Um, but would you say would you say in general there's been a lot of similar principles with them sort of managers? With like you said earlier, with Paolo, Eddie, Rafa, that kind of attention to detail and wanting to be out on the training field. Yeah, for sure. I think I think the main thing about what I've learned from management is if you if you if you put everything into the analysis side of the game and, and preparation, especially at the Premier League level, the preparation, you you can't really control what happens on the pitch. It's, your, it's your, what you do throughout the week that really matters and, and prepares your team. On a Saturday, you have to drink your tea and send the lads out. And it's really down to the lads. Obviously, there can be tactical changes made and things like that, but it's really down to the lads on a Saturday. And um, that's, that's the biggest thing I've, I've I've realised that the, the work you have to concentrate tra- on the training pitch in the week, and and that's where you get your that's where you get your work done. And all of them, all of them, obviously in different ways, certainly, but all of them have that. And uh, I'm really enjoying it at the moment. I mean, Steve Steve Bruce, the, the gaffer now, obviously, he's a fantastic career himself, and and played at a top top level and won many many trophies and um, had the. I mean, is it? There's not many managers out there that have played under Sir Alex Ferguson. So to have have some of his his skills implemented in into our dressing room and um, into our sessions is, is fantastic. And um, the, the gap has been great. I think we're doing really well this season. We've uh, we, we've got obviously a few games to go, and hopefully we can we can continue with some good results. But uh, I'm really enjoying it, and and, um, and long may it continue. Jeff, shall we uh, shall we ask Matt a question that he'll, yeah. is, is probably going to test yeah. his well, media trained skills? Uh, let's see how he answers yeah. this one. Well, actually, then I could I could pick the next the next one. You have the you have the one after Sam. So two 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 goals at the same end of the ground, Matt. Which felt better? Andy Jennings wants to know whether it's the volley against Sunderland or the last minute equaliser against us. <laughs> oh, flipping Nora, that. <laughs> <laughs> um, nah, it, uh, I can't remember the. I think we were in a. Was it? Were we close to relegation against when when I scored? Mm, the, the, I remember, the, I've got to be honest. Both both of them are real good feelings. Scoring a goal is the best feeling in the world. Um, that that's a fact. That it's the best. Uh, you work so hard, as I said during the week. You give, I give everything, everything. And when I score, I feel like you feel you feel great all week until you play again. You feel great when you score. Any player that scores or has played will tell you that. Your week changes. You smile, get a coffee, you jump out of bed every morning until the next game. It's fantastic. So scoring's the best feeling. But I had mixed feelings when um, when I scored against Bournemouth because, as I said to you earlier, 
my feelings for the football club and the people were uh, really strong and I, I love the club. So it was, a, it was such a strange feeling. I actually felt, I think I've been back before, but when I, when I, the first, the time I've been back before, I felt numb. When I come back, I, I was telling one of the staff at, at Newcastle, Glenn, I was telling Glenn how oh, Bournemouth's wonderful, it's always sunny, it's luck. And we, I think we, honestly, the day we played, it was tipping down with rain, it was black over the top. He, he was in my ear all, he's still in my ear now today. Um, so, the, to answer your question, I, I can't give you an answer, to be honest. I just no. can't. The, the, the feeling that the, my, my Sunderland my one was, was special, but my, um, my, my Newcastle one was, was, was pleasing to score. I don't think I'd scored too many that season. So personally for me, it was, it was a big, it was a big goal and I felt significant again, as I said, but um, no, I can't give you an answer, I'm afraid. Uh, that's that's fair enough. We also had a question from Chris Legg, and this is another one that's going to challenge you a little. But there's only there's a certain way that uh, I could ask this, I suppose, because obviously with Newcastle at the moment, there's been a lot of media speculation over who's going to be running the club. Um, obviously, you know, you might not know the ins and outs, but how does that affect you as a player? Because it's not only happened at Newcastle. There's been all sorts of Swindon when you say with administration and sort of you know money troubles, financial issues, etc. What's it like playing under? such scrutiny off the pitch because it's almost like sometimes the football is almost second nature. I've got to be honest, I had a good eye-opener to the ins and outs of football, if you like. When I was at Portsmouth, Portsmouth, uh, I was was a fan, so I probably actually took more notice in what I couldn't control. Um, I was a fan, I loved the the club, um, but I was also a player. um, And it I don't know, at Portsmouth, it was, it was such good times and then just <coughs> fell off the edge of a cliff, really. Um, and it was it was a shame to see, but I, I learned from that that I, I, I'd seen and, and been around the first team players that were probably more involved in it than me. I was I was a young lad on the, on the outskirts, really, but the I, I realised that they, they just got on with it. They just, they couldn't affect it and they just got on with it and, and that's what they've done. And, um, Certainly for me, I, I don't. I try. I try so hard not to read the press, as you said earlier. Mm. Social media's. I'm not on any of that, and I'm. I'm in the, uh, at the moment. I'm locked away in the forest, so mm. I'm sort of. I, I've not seen anything. I've not, I, I'm not. Obviously, I'm aware that there's interest in the in the football club, and then there's stuff in the press. But for sure, uh, I couldn't tell you. You, you not. You will know more than me. That's a fact. Um, can I affect anything? No. So what's the point of me wasting my time and? and uh, even talking or reading about it. So for me, uh, you just as a player, you just have to focus on yourself, firstly yourself, and then your team, your teammates, and, and try and be the best, the best person and the best play, player you can be on a day-to-day basis. And hopefully people will respect that and, and, um, and you can rub off in a positive way on your teammates. Good stuff. You've only got a few more uh, minutes here, Matt, so I won't keep you. Uh, but in terms of the like, social media, is that something you've... In- I mean, you, Jeff, you're going to have to text Matt some incredible like memes over the last few weeks because not being on social media, Matt, you are missing out on. <laughs> but I've got to say that, um, yeah, you're not anywhere. You're not on Instagram. You're not on Twitter. Is that an active decision? Yeah, it was, yeah. It's, um, I don't know. I, I felt like I, I'd seen so many players... Um, taking taking criticism, and 
I, I, I'm my own biggest critic, and I feel like if you've got noise coming from outside, sorry, I've just got, if you've got noise coming from outside, and, and people really that don't, don't they, their opinion doesn't really matter in the grand mm. scheme of things. The only man's opinion that matters is the man that's picking the team, and that's your manager. Mm. Um, and he certainly won't be telling you what he thinks through social media. So, yeah, for me, it was, I'm a private private man anyway. My family's the same. Um, I, I just didn't, I, I enjoy, I enjoy sort of not switching off from football because I don't think in football you never, you, you never do that. You, you never can, but it was, it was something that I felt like when I'm at home, I'm at home. I'm, I'm now, as I say, I've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old. I'm a dad and um, all this technology and things isn't really for me. And I just, I just like to, I just love football and um, I use my time away from football to, to try and switch off and, and enjoy my time with my family, but um, for sure, I, I can see it's fantastic for business or um, um, self uh, development or whatever um, companies and things like that. And, and advertising is great, but certainly, it's, it, for me personally, it's not for me. We've had a few questions about your hair, Matt. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot more sensible nowadays, isn't it? Well, we were going to we were going to ask number one. Uh, somebody asked us whether you've changed your hairdresser, and then um, another another comment was, "Which teammate has given you the most stick over your haircuts over the years?" Um, do you know what? It's funny though because I look back at my haircut and I think, "What was I thinking there?" <laughs> <laughs> but but I don't know. I felt like it was like. Cool. <laughs> I'm not cool. I didn't even feel like it was cool. I just felt like, I don't know, it was probably a successful time in my career. I felt like I need to keep this haircut. I need to keep it going. Like, it was just good. It felt right. So, um, I never changed it. But honestly, I look back at probably Fano's daughter is probably the uh, Hallie. She's, the most, she's given me the most stick over the years. Um, she used to call me Pineapple Head. But um, <laughs> honestly, honestly, I um, I look back at pictures now. I think, what was I thinking there? But as I say, it was it was something that I didn't want to change at the time, and I've now grown up, and um, I'm not that plonker walking around with a silly haircut anymore. <laughs> I can only dream of a hairline like that. I've got to say. Um, <laughs> so Mark the Pugh uh, is reinventing himself as a chef in his spare time. What's what's your alternative football career after it all finishes? Um. Well, I'm not too sure, to be honest. I, mean, I said to a fellow the other day, I had two sheep, and he called me a shepherd. He called me a farmer. So, <laughs> um, but <laughs> I think it was a bit off the mark, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't really know, to be honest. Um, I'd love, really, would love to be a manager. Um, but I feel like it's a long, long way away from me. I feel like I speak to players. I, I spoke to Ian Hart a lot when he was at Bournemouth, and I still speak to him now about retiring and. And what did you do as a plan for? I speak to Richard Hughes and um, Matty Taylor was a was a player that I looked up to at Portsmouth. I, I'm in contact with and speak to about the next stages. And I'm 30 now, but I honestly I feel like I've never had pace, so I've certainly not got any pace to lose. Um, I feel like I mean the, the the since I've probably been at Swindon, I feel like I've been in real great condition physically. Um, I work really hard on that and, 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 and try to keep that up. So I, I, I just want to continue to enjoy playing and, and not take my eye off the ball. I felt like I worked so hard and sacrificed so much to get to the Premier League. I'm now in it. For, for why? Why? Because I'm 30. Do I start thinking about what I'm going to do after? I feel like I've got 
a good three, four, five years at a really good level. And then who knows, I, I continue to, 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 to try and play if I feel like I can. If I can't, I'll have to look at it then. But for sure at the moment, I'm not thinking about retirement. Good stuff. We've had a load of comments in, so I'll just uh, rattle through. Um, they're not questions as such, but I will just uh, go through a few of them. A lot of people saying, you know, we want you back. Uh, Kirk Tovey, um, Callum saying the same thing. I could scroll up and find many, many more. And, um, well, NJB, I think, sums it up. You're, you're an icon to this club, Matt. So um, I certainly hope you realise that. Um, Tom Jordan, um, have you got any closing comments uh, no, just obviously, fact, thanks for everything, Matt. You are a, a legend down here, definitely. <laughs> um, absolutely, without question. And um, yeah, I do I do take a little look every time Newcastle change their manager and think, oh, maybe this one won't fancy Matt, he could come back. But uh, if that ever to, were to be the case, then you are always welcome back, Matt. But cheers, honestly, for everything. I hope, wish you all the success for Newcastle. Genuinely. No, thank, thanks a lot. It means so much, honestly, it does, because, as I say, my, my feelings towards the club is... is uh, it's certainly mutual to that, so it's uh, it means so much to to know that my time was appreciated. But together, uh, the group we had was it was unbelievable. Uh, just a quick uh, question here, because I think this one's quite interesting. This one is from uh, James. You said, did you and Jan used to challenge each other for the most outrageous goal before each game? Uh, never your box down and tapping, absolute tackers. <laughs> no, I got to be honest. I could never never compete with Yanni. Yanni was he was the master. He was. Uh, he was the Eric Cantona for us, wasn't he? He was like, as I said earlier, just he had something that, that no one else did. And uh, for me, he was unbelievable. Good stuff. Um, Jeff, it's been a pleasure to have you along. Any closing comments, questions? Well, just just one, Matt. So uh, you get to choose the next manager of Scotland. Who's it going to be? Rafa, Eddie or Steve Bruce? Oh, <laughs> oh, I'm not answering that question. <laughs> <laughs> It's That's all going absolutely. so smoothly, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, it was all going so well. Um, so, Matt, just want to say uh, thank you so much for coming along. Really appreciate your time tonight. No, I loved it. Thanks so much, guys. Amazing. So great to hear from Matt Ritchie. You can watch it again in full on YouTube if you go to youtube.com forward slash AFCB podcast. This show was brought to you by Living Home Tech. Spending more time at home makes you realise just how much we all need reliable technology for entertainment, video conferencing, gaming and more. Living Home Tech are professionals in the design and installation of cinemas, networks, lighting, security systems and much more for your home that work every time and look, feel and sound great too. Experience Living Home Tech at livinghometech.co.uk. So that just about wraps up another show. Incredible to hear from Matty. What a guy he was. And that that video on the cross YouTube and Facebook did ridiculous numbers. And I think it's testament to how good a player he was. He was with us for a relatively short amount of time, but he always put in 110%. And it was his it, almost like fan reactions when a goal went in. 
I absolutely loved, loved that knee jerk, heart on your sleeve nature. And um, yeah, what a guy. Was really chuffed and um, privileged to have him on the show. So who's coming next? Well, we're going to be going back to the early 80s with Tony Funnel, who appears on the podcast on the YouTube channel every week with his Funnel forecast. And he's joined by Keith Williams, the tough tackling cherry himself. And we ask him... Who would win a 50-50 out of yourself and Tony Poulis? We'll see who he backs. But until then, we'll see you on the next one. This has been the Lockdown Interviews. Six minutes left. This could be a big moment. Sermon looks to roll it sideways to Matt Ritchie, who smashes it! Goodness me! Matthew Ritchie! With a goal that could well be a massive step towards the Premier League. But they've come from behind and lead Sheffield Wednesday by two goals to one. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.